from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody. Talking Catholic, this is Pete Sanchez. And as always, I'm here with Mike Walsh. Mike, how are you? How are you? I'm doing fine. We're, uh, We're out of the vault today. We are out of the vault. Uh, we're a wonderful day here. Uh, you're listening to the official podcast of the Diocese of Camden, where we talk to the story makers uh, and the faith leaders in South Jersey. And we are in, uh, where are we today, Mike? We're in lovely Atlantic City, which you and I have spent uh, more time uh, than we have recently here. We really have. I feel like I need a second home here. Or <laughs> That'd be okay with it. It wouldn't be too bad. This is a beautiful area. Uh, and this is the first... Yeah, this is the first podcast we're doing in September. Happy September. Happy September to you as well. I'm thinking of that Earth, Wind, and Fire song. Okay. <laughs> you don't know that one? I'm not up on my Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh I know gosh. I look old, but uh, I have youthful tastes. <laughs> well, I, I'm youthful and I have nostalgic, I don't know, older Nostalgic tastes? tastes? Okay, that's good. <laughs> we balance each other out, but we have a lot of uh, talking about September, uh, the month, not the song. Um September 17th, coming up in Haddon Heights, New Jersey, Mike, we have Closer Walk with God, uh, which, you know the priest, Father uh, Joseph Byerly. I do. He officiated my wedding with my wife. Oh. Yeah. Well, you should should, uh, come to this. I should. It's going to be 2 p.m. on September 17th, Sunday, I believe, um, at St. Rosalima 300 Kings Highway. And it's really the Closer Walk with God is the purpose Individuals, it's to gather in Eucharistic adoration uh, to ask for Holy Spirit to come and enter our hearts. So that should be wonderful. Hope to see you there, Mike, September 17th. Hope so. And uh, a week later, I'm very excited for the 15th annual St. Padre Pio Festival. <laughs> That's because of the Bible. food. You're looking forward to the food, right? Oh, yeah. There's a poll, is the um, Spanish background, but I do not. I will not say no to Italian food. No. no. Um, and then we're going to have the Cafe Pio. Homemade desserts, coffee bar, all in the all to celebrate wonderful Saint Padre Pio. One of the just an amazing saint to emulate. That's going to be September twenty fourth at noon, four six eight zero Dante Avenue, at appropriately enough Saint Padre Pio Parish. Uh, there'll be a procession and mass, actually starting at eleven by Pastor Father Rob Sinatra, and there will be an Italian mass at two p.m. And for more info, call us 856-691-7526. And moving on to October, Mike, there are a couple awesome events coming up. In October? October. Oh, yeah. We're going to make have a good September and an equally, if not stronger, August, or October. And look into the fall. Where, as a matter of fact, we'll be back here again. Is that thing is one of your announcements? Yes. That's right. Well, before that, we're actually having another short town event uh, in Wildwood coming up Friday, October 6th. To Sunday, October 8th at the Wildwood Convention Center, the 29th Annual uh, Charismatic, Kim Dicey's Charismatic Conference. Now, I've never been to the Charismatic Conference, but you've covered it before, right? I've been there. It, it's just, it's a sight to see. It's really very passionate. It, a lot of passionate individual speakers, uh, youth tracks, music. Uh, and actually this year, they're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Fatima. Mm-hmm. So that'll be an actually free admission for the noon mass on Sunday, October 8th. And the MC will be Father Renee Canales with a bunch of guest speakers. Uh, for more info, go to www.kindoncharismatic. I'll have to make a point to go to work. I'll have to, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, t- give, give the URL address again. I was uh, rolled right over you. 
No, no problem. Um, www.camdencharismatic.org. Okay. I will have to make sure to go this year because I've missed it the last two years, and I think it's appropriate that I get there. So everybody join me as, uh, as we come down there this, yeah. in October. And tell Mike that you gave the Talking Catholic a five-star rating. Yes. Because that's what we, if you don't like, I have a goal for the end of the year. I want to be in the top 200 of the iTunes podcasts. All right. Good. I think goals. we can do it. So five star ratings, please. Everybody. Okay. I think, I think that is doable. Careful um, people. Pete's fired up. He's, he's not going to be happy. Well, I want to know, is there, is there a patron saint for five star ratings? <laughs> There's gotta be. But. <laughs> uh, and then the, actually we're in Atlantic city now. And we will be back October 11th, 5.30 for the Justice for All Awards dinner. Uh, I'm very excited for this, Mike. The 14th annual, first time in Atlantic City. It's going to... Oh, it's going to be it's gonna be impressive. Uh, it'll be at uh, Resorts Hotel. It's uh, We're going to be honoring uh, Cardinal Joseph Tobin for all the great work he's done uh, in the programs that uh, Catholic Charities globally uh, focuses on, but he's been one of the he's been one of the great uh, advocates for refugees and immigrants and and working with the marginalized and the poor. Uh, so he's he's an appropriate recipient of the St. John uh, Newman Award that he'll be uh, receiving that night. And then uh, the Disciples of Mercy, the local Disciples of Mercy, there'll be five of them uh, yeah. that will be uh, will also be receiving uh, very do awards for the great work they've been doing in the South Jersey for many years. And all the, all the, it'll raise funds uh, for direct assistance to Catholic Charities clients in South Jersey. That's going to be a really great night, uh, 5.30 October 11th at the Resorts Hotel in Atlantic City. Uh, for more info, go to www.catholiccharitiescamden.org slash JFA 2017. And speaking of Atlantic City, as Mike and I have said, we are we have, here. Yeah, we've been spending a lot of time here, and we've been and we've been spending a lot of time with our guests as well. The uh, yes. over the time, but uh, no, you know, uh, Atlantic City. I think sometimes we forget is a part of the diocese of Camden. It's you know far away from uh, the headquarters, but it's one of the the jewels of the diocese. And I've been very happy to see that in the last year we've you and I, from a from a news perspective and a public relations perspective, we've been coming here a lot more often. And uh, to four of our newest jewels. Are, are yes. sitting around us today. So, Pete, can you introduce our, our guests? Well, we do have the uh, Franciscan Sisters of the Renault here. Uh, they're here for about uh, a month or so. Uh, we have, do you want to just go around? Sister. Sure. I'm Sister Anne Cattery, I'm Sister Joseph, and Sister Kiara, and I'm Sister Agnes. And so uh, how long, uh, any of you can answer this, so, so how long officially have you been in the city? We arrived, um, it's been a little over a month now, and uh, we arrived July 31st, and a, a real joy to be here. And you, we are in the, I guess this is former St. Michael's, this, we have, well, the, the history, Mike, explain well, the history of the this in this place was... Oh, well, uh, we're, we're in the... Prior to the mergers that happened on the island of Atlantic City uh, about two years ago, um, before it became the combined parish of St. Monica, we're currently in St. Michael's St. Michael's Rectory next to Saint, the beautiful St. Michael's Church uh, on the 10 Mississippi Avenue in Atlantic City. If you've never been here before, I know a lot of people go to St. Nicholas of Tolentine. 
come down a little bit further, uh, particularly in the summer months when uh, the church is open and for special holidays, uh, and come see St. Michael's. But, um, uh, you know, well, actually, you know, before I answer that question, how did you arrive here, Saint Sister Agnes? Well, we um, were invited by Bishop Sullivan. He's a longtime friend of our community and Mother Lucille. And um, he had been in New York, as you know, previous to being here in the Camden Diocese. And we had gotten to know him there. Our community is based out of New York and started there. And since um, then, we're, we have two convents in the Bronx, one in Harlem. And we've opened up a house in Ireland and England. But this is our first house in the U.S. outside of New York. So this is a big deal for us to be here. And um, so Bishop Sullivan had been wanting us to come for a while. And it just seemed like God's timing has been perfect. And here we are. It's... Um, you know, we started looking at it back in October. I know Bishop Sullivan had wanted us to come see um, some different possibilities for us to come and be a presence here in the diocese. And just when we came here, we knew um, God wanted this, and the community unanimously felt the same way. And uh, we had the sisters, and here we are. <laughs> when you say we, uh, the four of you, or your order, how did that work, like visiting yeah, so um, Mother Lucille has a council, and so um, four of us came to visit back last October, almost a whole year now, to see the different possibilities of where we could be here in different ministry. And um, so we came as a, a council to support and praying and discerning what God might want with Mother Lucille, and then from there brought it to all the sisters in final vows. So then um, through, over the year, we were praying and discerning who would be the lucky winners, <laughs> might I say, to come to this new mission in Atlantic City, and the four of us were, were chosen. So, and I think we all can say we're really happy to be here. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the, you know, just to, just to sort of even go a little further back, let's talk about the order. The order's been around since 1988, correct? Can you give me some of the, the history? Yeah, so um, our community, we're a, re a renewal group of the Capuchin Franciscans. The friars began in 1987. There had been eight friars that um, had gotten permission from Cardinal O'Connor to begin a group of Franciscans at that time in 1987. And then in 88, there were a group of women discerning, um, just you know, not sure if they're called to religious life, and they've been under the guidance of Father Benedict Rochelle, um, guiding them in a discernment group, and Father Andrew Apostoli, who's um, a lot of probably listeners would know those names, being on EWTN. And Father Andrew started guiding the women because he had a lot of experience with sisters and religious communities of sisters. And the women were visiting different sisters and um, were feeling called to live a religious life but weren't finding anything that they felt called to and it was um, when they would spend the time uh, seeing what the friars were doing they were thinking wouldn't it be great if the friars started something like what they're doing for women and Father Andrew was thinking the same thing at that time and they realized it was Palm Sunday um, back in 1987 that they both had this idea this inspiration which seemed to come from the Holy Spirit and then got permission to become a discernment group, and then a candidacy, and then um, postulancy, novitiate all along. Um, got permission through Cardinal Connor, who was overseeing that um, back in 1987. And Mother Lucille is our founding member. She's been in the community since then, 
and the rest of us have come along after. There's, um, I believe, about 32 of us, and we're from all over. Wow, that is wonderful. Um, now, just to sort of, for our listeners to, to lay the, the groundwork, um, Sister Agnes, you're the local servant for this convent, for this community in Atlantic City, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So local servant is probably not a familiar title for most people. Local superior um, would be more normal. And so us as Franciscans, we look at the gospel as Jesus said to be a servant to all. Um, and so we look as being a superior of the house, the local superior or the community superior is really serving the sisters and serving the needs of the house and the sisters in your house. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. And now... Having Franciscans in the, you know, certainly within the diocese, we've had different orders of Franciscans, different communities of Franciscans here. Um, however, I'm not sure we've ever had any in Atlantic City. As I'm looking out the window at the corner of my eye, uh, at you, Sister Agnes, I'm also looking at uh, Trump Taj Mahal and uh, Resorts Hotel and Casino. And you don't, this seems to be a beautiful dichotomy that's, that's come here with, with, with you, Hare. How, how have you felt sort of being around the glitz and glamour? of the boardwalk area of Atlantic City, which also has, as we know, there, there are certain downtrodden areas of, of, of Atlantic City as well. But how are you feeling sort of fitting into the middle of all that? Well, uh, being from New York the last 16 years, it, um, there's some similarities. I've been saying it kind of feels a little bit like Times Square on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, you know, I just think overall our experience has been, everybody's been so warm and so welcoming. We've had people yelling across the street, hi, sister, welcome, sister, thank you for your good work, sister. Just so positive. And um, so it doesn't matter where we are, whether it be over at the casinos or um, in a more needy area, everyone has been so receptive and beautiful. So. Um, I, I'm aware us as Franciscans and religious, we certainly are a visible outward sign of a contradiction to the world of what they think will make them happy, the money, power, um, sex. And so our witness is a, a direct contradiction to that, that really Jesus is the one that can make us happy. And um, so we love walking the streets and just reminding everyone that how much they are loved by God. And and I'm here to just be a presence of his love and his mercy to all those that we meet. That's wonderful. Um, you know, we should probably go around the table a little bit and, and learn the backstory of everybody while we're here. Sister Anne, you've, you're, Sister Anne, you've had an opportunity to, to speak a while bit, so I'm going to go around to the left side of the table. Uh, Sister uh, Anne Kateri? Kateri? Kateri. I say it wrong every time. I even wrote it down phonetically. I said, I said it wrong. So can you tell me a little bit about your backstory with the community? Sure, yeah. So I've been a sister now for 12 years. Um, I was born uh, in the New York area. My father was in medical school there, but really grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. That's what I consider home. Um, very beautiful, very uh, devout Catholic family. I'm the oldest of 12 children. Um, so family life was uh, very full <laughs> and, and, and joyful and, and beautiful, uh, beautiful witness of, of married life to my parents. Um, but at a young age, felt a call to religious life. Um, 11 and 12, the stirrings of the vocation were there, and by 14, by the time I was being confirmed, um, knew for sure that this is what God was calling me to, and I was excited about it. I loved our faith, and remembered praying with praying to the Lord, Lord, if this is what you want for me, um, yes, but not yet. <laughs> I'm 14 years old. Um, I was headed off to high school um, 
to an all-girls Catholic high school there in D.C. Uh, and for a year, I would be the only one of my family there in my Catholic grade school when I was in eighth grade. Of course, the grade school had 10 grades pre-K through eighth. There were eight of us there. So that was who I was. Um, but I was headed off to high school and uh, and excited about that, and I didn't want everybody to know that I was going to be a nun. <laughs> so my, my prayer to the Lord was yes, but not yet. And that yes, but not yet continued all through high school. Um, I had the opportunity then to go to Harvard for, for college. I was pre-med. People would ask me there what I would do with my life. I'd say, oh, I'm going to be a missionary doctor. Um, in my head, I would think a missionary nun-doctor, because um, I still very much fit in the vocation, but didn't didn't want to be the girl at Harvard that was going to be the nun either. So so that was between Jesus and I. Um, it came up very strongly, my, my vocational call um, as a senior. Um, finally had the courage to start talking about it. Unfortunately, I the first few people I went to for guidance um, told me that uh, uh, nobody's entering religious life anymore. I, I probably didn't have a vocation. I should think of something else. So that sidetracked me for a bit. Um, I wasn't sure where to go with that. Moved back home to D.C. instead of applying to medical school. Um, served the poor in the inner city of D.C. and loved it. Loved uh, working for the church, being among the poor. Um, my faith was so strengthened by their faith. Um, so I, I did that, and then I became the youth minister at my parish and just became very busy doing things for the Lord. Um, six years of, um, of, of doing things for the Lord. Meanwhile, um, D.C. has a very active Catholic young adult uh, life. There was a lot of programs. The Theology on Tap was just beginning. That was like in 2000. Um, and there was a lot to do. And, and so meeting just really some wonderful uh, friends and, and, and young men and, and really wonderful people to date also. Um, at, at Harvard, I hadn't met, uh, uh, you know, Anyway, I hadn't met those those people there, so it was it was exciting to be a young adult in D.C. and um, and and studying the theology of the body as well, and, and really desiring a spousal relationship, and not understanding religious life to be that spousal relationship. Um, I I came to a, a decision. Well, I I'm I think I'll be happier being married, and I think I'll be happier being married to this specific person who I had in mind, who I was dating, and and very beautiful relationship. Um, so when he proposed, I said yes, um, and yet a sadness grew, came over me almost immediately and came to see through, through really pulling back in prayer and, and being with the Lord um, in the Blessed Sacrament and, and hearing him speak to me in scriptures, reading the, the gospel of the rich young man who asks our Lord, what must I do to gain eternal life? And he says, follow the commandments. Um, he says, what more must I do? He says, go sell what you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And that next line, and he walked away sad because he had many things. I knew that that sadness was what I was yeah. experiencing, a sadness of, of uh, walking away from this radical invitation to follow the Lord completely. Um, so by his grace alone, um, the grace of the, then a good confession, I think, and uh, the grace and courage to just trust that the Lord had the plan for my happiness, um, I was able to end that engagement and... and Ask him what he had made me for, and, and, and soon after he showed me the Franciscan Sisters and found my way up to Newark. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's, and, and you've been, it's been a good experience ever since? Oh, yes, yeah. The, the peace and the and the joy um, of those first days has only only grown since, yeah. That's wonderful yeah. to hear. That's wonderful. That's I'm glad uh, you shared, shared that story. You shared that with the Summer of the City yeah. a few weeks ago, and that's extremely powerful. So thank, thank you for sharing right. that with our audience. 
Thank yeah, you. you know, I think the story, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear everyone else's story as well, but I think these stories of, thinking back to a part of, of your background, where you said, you know, people aren't discerning vocations any longer. And it may be true that there are less people discerning vocations, but those vocation stories are still there. And I think I think maybe one of the reasons there are less is people don't hear them nearly as much as they used to. Right. So having Pete and I, having been able to sit in on a few interviews with you with secular media, I heard these stories before and we love them, which is the reason why we came back. Cause I think this is an important conversation to have for people to hear that this is not, I mean, 12 years ago, right? It's, that's not a long time ago. You, uh, one of the other things of note of this community is, as the sisters tend to be quite young still, I mean, under, Hey, I consider anyone under 40 young, right? That's, that's 40 and under young. Uh, <laughs> you're all young, right? You're all younger than me. The um, the uh, but I think that is beautiful, and I, I don't think we hear that that conversation. I mean, Pete, you do theology on tap as well, and it's you know, and I've certainly spent a lot of time with the the Catholic campus ministry people, and it's and there's a lot of discerning that sort of uh, a religious uh, view on like their future as as spouses and their futures in terms of careers and their futures in terms of vocations, but I still don't think we hear that conversation enough about the the possibility of religious vocation. And uh, that's why it was so nice when Pete mentioned that uh, the summer you gave that beautiful address at the summer in the city. I think a young, which is which was all teenagers, right? They were all young adults, teenagers. Yeah, they were right? all yeah youth. They were all high schoolers. Yeah, that's that's a conversation. I can't say that even in my own teen years, I remember hearing anybody say. Uh, yeah, well, you weren't I, I there, but I don't remember yeah, having don't that conversation. Remember. I'm looking <laughs> no, at you to, to, to agree well, with me, but yeah, no, you're, no, you're, I, you're still I, in elementary school, you little millennial. Well, no, I don't remember anybody. I didn't have that. I went on retreats in grade school. I didn't have some, I, I just, I don't know. I went to high school in Philadelphia, so I wasn't engaged as probably much as I could have been in uh, South Jersey Catholic stuff. <laughs> but it was well, said, sir. well um but it was very just was very profound yeah. i think uh, the message yeah thanks for being there to, to give that so as we move around the table sister joseph give us give us your backstory okay so my story is a little different <laughs> got it works very uniquely with each person and so um i am from holland that's where i grew up and I grew up in a family that wasn't religious at all. So we didn't go to church, I wasn't baptized. Um, I really didn't even know people who went to church. So growing up, I couldn't really have told you what Christmas was about. Um, and so I had quite a hard time growing up, especially as a teenager. Um, I really crashed when I was 16 years old. Um, but then my, my aunt reached out to me and she invited me to go to the boarding school that her daughter was attending uh, in France. And to my own surprise, I said yes. <laughs> uh, so I meant going back to school. And <laughs> um, so I think I really wanted to get out of the living situation I was in at the time. Uh, so I went, and uh, it was a culture shock, a very big culture shock. This was a, a boarding school run by Dominican sisters in full habit. So I wasn't sure which century I found myself in. <laughs> um, looking around, they had uh, failed to mention that this was an all-girls school. And the girls sure weren't dressed like me either. <laughs> they were wearing long skirts and little blouses, uh, braids in their hair. Like, ooh, I don't fit in. <laughs> uh, but I decided to stay, um, especially because I didn't really want to go back to the situation I was in. And 
uh, I couldn't really complain to anybody else because I didn't speak French. So that was very helpful. <laughs> um, so, so I, I just stayed on and um, I was kind of learning French. If you're the only one who doesn't speak French, you learn very quickly. Um, and as I was listening to the catechism classes that, of course, you were attending, I was mesmerized and confused and I knew they were going to try to make me a Catholic and it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, so I was very intently listening to make sure that wouldn't happen. Um, but about six months uh, into my time there, we were in the chapel as we often had to be in the chapel and we were kneeling because we had to be kneeling. These, these nuns were serious. <laughs> uh, and we were looking at the altar because we had to look at the altar. And I kind of liked being in the chapel because this was my space out time because nobody was going to be talking French to me and I didn't have to talk French to them. I like this. <laughs> Um, but I was in the chapel and I had a real experience of God's love for me and His true presence in the Blessed Sacraments. Uh, and that completely just changed my whole life around, my thinking, my everything. Um, I cried my eyes out, and I'm Dutch, we don't do that. <laughs> but I cried my eyes out for a long time. Uh, and then uh, I found a priest and I explained to him, Father, this is what happened. Um, I, think, I think the next thing is to be baptized. And I honestly thought that he would go and get a pitcher of water and get it over with and wouldn't have to tell anybody. Uh, but there was a beautiful priest who said uh, to take a year uh, to read the Bible. I said, oh yeah, I heard about that book. Mm -hmm. um, learn about the saints, read the catechism. Um, so one of the sisters there, um, she became my godmother. And during that time, she really uh, guided me through the process of learning about the faith, uh, which was very beautiful. Uh, during this time too, I started going to daily mass, and obviously um, I wasn't receiving the blessed sacrament yet, and that just increased my longing. Like I knew he was there, and just every day, um, and more and more, I decided to receive him. So I was really prepared for the day of my first communion, um, when it finally came a year later. Uh, so much so that um, my very good friend uh, surprised me, drove through the night uh, to be there with me, uh, a young man from Italy, uh, and he was sitting next to me, and I was very flattered by his presence, and I really thought that, well, we're talking about sacraments, I was getting baptized, confirmed, first communion, why not talk about my first year? <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I received my first communion, I knew there was no way I could give my heart to this young man in the way I just gave it to Jesus, or that he could give his heart to me in the way Jesus just gave his heart to me. Um, and from that relationship um, that uh, that had begun there, it began at my conversion and had grown over that year. Um, I knew I, I sent my Italian friend back to Italy <laughs> uh, after showing him up to all the girls. Of course. <laughs> um, Very kind of you. <laughs> yes, of um, I knew that I I needed to find a way to give my heart entirely to him, and that meant a religious vocation. Um, I. I didn't realize, uh, but there was just this desire in my heart to grow um, in that relationship. Um, I knew those American sisters, they were very, very beautiful. Um, I didn't think I would make a good teacher. Um, I didn't really have a desire to teach. Um, so I thought maybe after college I'll, I'll think about it. Um, but before I even went to college, uh, I went to the World Tuesdays in Toronto, and that's when I met our community here um, in New York. We spent a week with the friars, and it was a beautiful time seeing the Franciscan charism lived out. I had read about St. Francis. I, I really liked him a lot. He had a radical conversion himself, a great love for the Blessed Sacraments. Um, 
and just to see these men living just like St. Francis, serving the poor, living with the poor, and uh, living a very Eucharistic centered life was very inspiring to me. I didn't know they had sisters until the end of the, our week there. I saw one sister and I had to leave the room through the other door. Uh, I was completely <laughs> freaked out, I couldn't talk about it. Uh, but I took that as my intention to the World Youth Days. And uh, every time I would pray, every time there would be something in my heart reminding me of that encounter, reminding me of St. Francis, reminding me of New York. Um, so I decided to, to contact the community, uh, to start visiting um, and discerning with the community when would be a good time to, to enter. So I ended up entering at the same time as Sister Anne Kettery, her classmates, 12 years ago, uh, into the wonderful Uncle Journey. Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, really quite impressive that a young Dutch woman from, you know, well, makes her way through France, over to Canada, down yeah, to New York. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, the power of Christ. God can do it. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things you said struck me, you talked, you used the phrase, to my own surprise. Like you found yourself doing this, and I think that's what can happen with, in my own, you know, I've, if I get so caught up in the secular world, but... You know, if, if I'm trying, if I'm trying to find myself in prayer, I get surprised too about things I do, and I realize that is God's grace, you know, pulling me toward that. And I think that's, this is like that. That was very, you know, we find ourselves unexpectedly, um, unexpectedly being called or pulled, and it's a really beautiful thing. That's and are you unique in the community in the sense that uh, you're international as opposed to American? Uh, no, there, there's a couple more sisters uh, from England uh, okay. in the community. And uh, one sister, she's from Mexico, actually, yeah. and from Scotland, yes. So there, we, there's more of us. Okay, good, good, good. And, and for, Canada, oh, yeah. England, oh yeah, yeah. forget anybody here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we're from all over, really, all over the United States and then. Yeah, oh, good. Thank you. Sister Kiara. Yes, hello. Tell us now, as, as we're going from the Netherlands to, uh, yeah, to uh, North Jersey. North Jersey. So I'm <laughs> glad to be back in my home state. Yeah, so I grew up in Bergen County in New Jersey. And um, so it's good to be back. Oh, good. Glad to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> Had you spent much time in South Jersey before? Or were you a North Jersey person through and through? Yeah, I would have to say North Jersey person through and through, but I did go to Villanova, so I was even, you know, even though that's in, in Philadelphia, very close to South Jersey, so. Um, well, as Pete like, and I are both uh, St. Joe's grads, uh -huh. we'll, we'll like yeah. it anyway. All right, that's <laughs> 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 a competition in Exactly. And in other ways, but yes. <laughs> so what was your what was your vocation story? So um, for me, growing, I grew up in a Catholic family, so very, very grateful for my parents um, who, who imparted the faith to my sister and I. I have a twin sister, and um, we so we grew up going to church, and um, so very, very grateful for that gift. Um, it was really when I was in my teenage years, um, when I went to high school, where my faith really turned around and, and turned my whole life around um, enough so to, to bring me to this point of, of devoting my whole life to Christ. Um, and that was simply by um, going to my youth group at my parish. And um, my sister and I were, my twin sister Jacqueline and I were really involved a lot in high school sports and um, so many activities. Um, but it was this youth group um, that, that we went to that um, had 
had really made the most impact on my leg. Um, so the first year as a freshman, um, it was the youth group happened right after the seven o'clock youth mass. So it was it was really nice just to be around people who love their faith and um, who were interested in, in forming a relationship with Christ, um, with Jesus. And so my first year, I can remember, we had four youth group ministers at the time, and they invited us to a Youth 2000 retreat. At that time, it was called a Rejoice 2000 mm-hmm. um, in Kearney, New Jersey. And I'd never gone to anything like this, but um, for those of you who are listening, I'm sure you know about the 2000s. It's a Eucharistic Center retreat, um, and the Eucharist is exposed throughout the entire, um, through throughout the entire retreat. Um, and that is where I really first met Jesus. Um, and I can remember going on a retreat and, and, and loving it. In fact, I'm just going to rewind for just a bit. Um, right before the retreat, I had a, an encounter with my mom in the kitchen, and we were just drying breakfast dishes. And she said to me, out of the blue, she said, you know, I think, she said, Grandma thinks that you're going to be a nun. And I said, no way. I said, I don't think so. I think I want to have a family and whatever. And, and the conversation began and end right there in, in, in 30 seconds. Um, but to be honest, that, that really stuck in my, in my, in my head. Um, and then, so, right, that happened right before the retreat. Then I went on this retreat. And at the end of the retreat, they have what's called a vocation call. And so the priest at this retreat, he stood up and he said, um, for anyone who has ever thought about being a, a priest, a sister, a brother, and, um, for just a second, or even just a minute, I want you to stand up and, you know, and, and just stand up. And I remember think, sitting there thinking, well, I did think about being a sister for a second in the kitchen. <laughs> so I can't lie. So I stood up, and there's my twin sister sitting right next to me looking up at me thinking, what are you doing? Sit, sit down. What are you doing? And I remember thinking, like, hey, you know, I'm having my moment here. Um, and so I remember standing up feeling like a, a, a flood of peace and a flood of joy. And the priest then invited us to the front, to the altar, and, and prayed over us. And I just started to cry, really, really knowing that something something was happening in my heart. Um, and so I was just a freshman or sophomore, I can't remember, at that time. Um, and just had that experience, went back to school, and, and didn't really think much of it. But um, the Lord, again, brought it to the forefront of my mind that next year, um, our youth group changed, and we had a new youth group minister, and she was very devoted to the to the Eucharist, very devoted to the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and she had invited us um, each before it, at um, the beginning of each meeting, um, just to sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament for about 10 minutes or so in silence. And I was very um, changed. I was transformed in those 10 minutes of each of our our meetings um, because I knew clearly that Jesus was real, that he was alive in the Blessed Sacrament, and I knew that he loved me. I experienced an unconditional love that I'd never really experienced before. And, and it was in that time of prayer that I really felt the Lord inviting me to be his spouse. And I was just swept away by the thought of that and um, became very excited. Every time I thought about it, um, I, would, I would be filled with joy, um, but didn't quite know that that meant to be a sister um, until going on more U2000 retreats, I met sisters and they talked to me and they said, you know, to be a sister is to really be the bride of Christ. And I thought, yes, that's what I want. That's that's it, Lord. Um, 
so ever since then, that desire in my heart really never left. I could never shake it after that. Um, I knew clearly that that deep in my heart I desired to be the bride of Christ. And so I was about a junior or senior in high school at the time. Um, and the only one I told about this was my twin sister, Jacqueline. And um, she she loved the idea too. And in fact, at one point we thought, okay, we'll both become sisters. We both wanted to become missionaries of charity. and. Mm-hmm. And it lasted for a day for my sister. <laughs> and then I, it continued to, to be in my heart. But um, I, I, I knew um, very, any, very clearly that this is, this was, I was made for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, anyway, I went off to college with this desire deep in my heart. Um, and I went to Villanova and loved it there. I studied nursing and um, loved the profession, loved learning. Just I loved my experience there. And... I graduated in 2005, and um, then I moved down to Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, completely different from New Jersey, um, and my parents moved there, so I, I went and followed, I worked at Vanderbilt and, and worked as a nurse for two years there, and, and worked um, in a, on a cancer floor, so helping people with cancer and all different types of illnesses, and, and I really, really loved it. Um, and in fact, at that during that time, I also met a young man who was faith-filled. He checked every box, and we were really best friends, and it was loved to be with him. Um, and so I thought to myself, okay, maybe this is what the Lord wants. Um, I, I seem happy. This is great. Um, but the more I continue to go in that direction of be, becoming married and, and living and, and working as a nurse, the more um, restless I became and the more not at peace I was deep inside. And my spiritual director really helped me to see this. He, he said to me at one point, on the scale of 1 to 10, how hard is it to break away from this young man? I said, mm, if I look deep, deep down, about 4. <laughs> <laughs> he said, how is it on a scale from 1 to 10 to break away from the thought of being a sister? And I said, oh, like 9 or 10. I, it's impossible. <laughs> like I can't break away. From it, so I knew then I, I had to be serious about pursuing the religious life, and so I broke off the relationship um, with this young man and um, told my job that you know my, my boss said this is something that I really felt the Lord calling me to. I told my family um, about it, which which um, God bless them. They, they it was hard for them, you know, to to know that I would be away from them, and so um, it was hard. I come from an Italian family, so we're very close. And um, but I knew deep down in my heart that if this is truly what God wanted, that everyone involved in my life would be blessed. Yeah. And um, and I, I knew very clearly that this is what the Lord wanted. So I, I went and visited visited different communities. Ours being the first one, and and absolutely loved it. I felt alive. I felt peace. And I felt especially our prayer life was was beautiful. And so. Um, I knew that this is my home, and in 2007, um, I made that leap of faith, which is the best leap I've ever made. I'm so happy I made my final vows last year, so okay. I'd be happier. So thanks to God. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, does it feel comfortable to be in South Jersey? It uh, does. Okay. I did, yeah, no, no competition <laughs> between North and South. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Where was your, oh, well, your family moved to Nashville, you said. They right? did, yeah, but... 12 years ago. Okay. Do you still have family in the Jersey area? or um, Not in Jersey, but in Staten Island, New York, um, Pennsylvania, 
Okay. Um, so actually, I do have a couple cousins in, on one hand in New Jersey, North Jersey. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you could come back to Jersey. Thank you so makes, much. Makes us very happy. Thank you. And Sister Agnes, what was your what was your story? Yeah. Um, just before I start, I was just so struck in um, Sister Kiara sharing her story of uh, talking about it was more in who God wanted you to be as a spouse of Christ, and more than what we do in our calling. And so I think for all of us, we can really say that um, in our community, we're contemplative active. So uh, we pray a lot, and that's um, really our primary purpose as religious. And then um, our active ministries are with the poor and uh, those in need, and then also evangelization. But my own story, um, I'm from Florida, so I also feel at home here near the beach, two blocks, <laughs> um, and hearing the seagulls and the sun. Um, and I grew up playing tennis. I'm one of five children from a Catholic family. Um, I'm just going to turn a little bit here so I can face. Whoops. No, that's okay. okay. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, and um, played tennis since I was eight years old. And I um, wanted to get a, a tennis scholarship. And in high school, um, pursuing that, as well as going on a youth retreat when I was 16, I had an experience of God's love on this retreat. It was um, like kind of like a Crisio, or it was called Search when I went on, and I was 16. And I had grown up going to Mass every Sunday, but my faith was more a lip service. It was praying, um, but not really from my heart, and receiving the sacraments, really encountering the Lord's presence in the sacraments. And on that retreat, I had a, a deep encounter with the Father's love for me and a real gratitude that um, I started working retreats at, in high school and helping out and getting involved with my faith in the youth group. But I was also living another life in high school and um, living a social scene and got involved with partying. And it's really the mercy of God. I'm sitting here as a sister <laughs> um, and still a Catholic. And um, because what happened is when I went to college, I no longer had the Catholic environment that I had grown up in. And I started really questioning my Catholic faith. And I did get a tennis scholarship. I went to a University of North Florida in Jacksonville. It's now Division One at the time it was Division Two, And we always competed in the top five in the nation for tennis. And um, so I was on the team. And my freshman year was really trying, was really filling the void in my heart that was for the Lord with um, relationship, uh, partying, different things, um, and not the Lord. And so I was looking for happiness in other places. And what happened is that my whole life turned around when I was um, playing a challenge match with one of my teammates to um, see who would be a certain spot on the team to play the, in the next match. We were playing and I had won the first set, if anybody's listening and plays tennis, and then she won the second set, so we won a third set. And I had such an attitude that I threw my racket into the fence. And the very next point, and I never did that, but the ne next point, I um, heard my knee pop and I tore my ACL. Now that's a football injury, and I'm very intense. I'm an intense person. So I was playing tennis very intensely. <laughs> and so I had um, tore my ACL. I was told out I would be out for the year. I had to go through um, surgery. I um, had uh, surgery and then had to go through rehab for it. Um, and it was through that 
going through that, that I really started question what is my life all about? And, you know, it had been all about tennis and um, nothing about the Lord. And it was Holy Thursday night. I was at home preparing for my surgery, which would be on Good Friday. And that, as you know, is a, a time of grace. is Good Friday and the, the Holy Triduum. So Holy Thursday, the night before I go with my family, I'd moved back, back at home my freshman year in college. And I went to the Reposition Chapel after with the Blessed Sacrament. And I remember praying before the Lord, Lord, who am I and who are you? And I didn't realize that was a prayer that St. Francis had prayed. And it was after that and the surgery on Good Friday that in order to um, keep going each day and to, to fight through um, that journey, because I had moved back at home and I had been dating someone who just broke up with me. I no longer had the friends that I was um, around during high school. I was stripped of a lot. And so I found my joy and peace would come from getting to know Jesus and in the Gospels because I could see that joy in other Christians. And I knew they knew Jesus in their heart. They had a relationship with Jesus. And I knew about Jesus, but I didn't really know him in my heart. And I knew it would be through reading the Gospels. So every day I would read the Gospels. And it would give me the grace to begin again. And, um, and then gradually that joy, and I grew in a friendship with Jesus, that through those years I started playing tennis again. I had an undefeated season the next year in, in college. And um, continued on in college and got my nursing degree. And during that time of college, I was also confronted with a lot of questions about my Catholic faith. So much so that I didn't really want to tell people I was Catholic. And I um, actually became anti-Catholic at a certain point. I was um, confronted with the teachings of um, saved by faith alone and solely scripture, scripture alone, but we know as Catholics it's faith and works and scripture and tradition. And I began searching, and um, so during that time it was really the Eucharist that brought me back. And so um, how that was is my parents were praying for me, and I, um, they were giving me different things to read of the Catholic faith, Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn. I had such a Protestant thinking at this point um, because I got very involved with a non-denominational Christian group, was even thinking of doing a full-time missionary work and not being a nurse. And, um, and so I began reading Rome Street Home, watched a video called Miracles of the U Eucharist, and that's what brought me back. It's so funny. This video, it's Bob and Penny Lord. God rest their souls. They're, I call them my spiritual grandparents. I got to meet them at one point. But then the video is very um, undramatic. Like it's just that, you know, this they're standing there in these holy sites and telling you the stories of these profound miracles. But I must have been so ripe for conversion. And I was watching this one late morning before going to tennis practice, and they're talking about the miracle in Orvieto, Italy. And this miracle, if you're not familiar with it, it's a miracle of a priest who didn't believe in the true presence of the Holy Eucharist. And at Mass one day, the host began to bleed onto the altar cloth. And I knew as I was watching this, this is the Jesus who I've come to know and love. He's truly present in the Catholic Church. This is the true church. Where else can I go? And so I started crying. It was like the scales falling from my eyes, like a St. Paul experience, because I was like going around, are you saved? And asking my family and <laughs> like, oh, it was terrible. Just really misled, misunderstood what we believe as Catholics. I think if more people knew what we believe in our Catholic faith, everybody would want to be Catholic. 
Um, and so I dove into my Catholic faith, like just totally immersed myself, anything I could get my hands on to read Catholic, started going to daily mass, went back to the sacraments, got, got involved with youth ministry, young adult ministry. And then I hear a sister who went to my high school talk about being the bride of Christ. And I thought, that is so beautiful. I also want to do that, but I also want to be married. So for about two years, I would do what you should not do in discernment, which is dating and discerning. So I would date and then I'd have no peace. And then I would say, oh, I must be called to the convent. So I would start visiting a specific order and then I would have a peace and then I'd start dating again. Um, and then finally, I was watching on EWTN an interview with some sisters and someone said, um, asked, called in and said, should you date and discern at the same time? And the sisters said to seek the kingdom of heaven first. And I knew I needed to do that. And so that's what I did. I put everything aside um, and I went on a pilgrimage to a Marian shrine. And it was there, uh, much like Sister Kiara, the priest asked me, this must be, I wonder if they get this training in, priest, in seminary. He said, on a scale of one to 10, <laughs> how urgent do you feel like you need to know what God's will is for your life? And I said, uh, I think a nine or a 10, <laughs> maybe I even said 11, I don't know, but I was really urgent. Um, and I had just consecrated myself to our lady and, um, got clear before I left there. It's a long story. And I think we probably have to end soon here, but, um, basically oh, there's no end to this. So feel okay. free to go in as, as <laughs> we will make this the longest podcast we've done. Yeah. It's not a problem. No. This is, these are great stories, yeah. but just basically it was divine mercy Sunday. And, um, I, the priest had told me after going to that confession, you know, when you leave here, make a decision of what you feel the Lord calling you to do um, and just try it for six months. And so I each day would wake up and I think it's got to be married life because that would be the greatest sacrifice because <laughs> I want to be praying <laughs> all the time. And so I'm like, hello, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> but um and so what it was on Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, the priest had given a homily. I think it was like maybe the second Divine Mercy Sunday ever that was recognized. But um, the priest gave a homily at the Mass, and he said there was a man who had a headache, and he went to the doctor, and he says, you know, doctor, I have this headache. And he says, well, what are you doing? He says, you know, I'm, I'm doing vigils, and I'm fasting, and I'm kneeling on rice, and and he says, oh, the doctor says, it sounds like to me you have a case of your halo being on too tight. <laughs> and I realized at this moment, this is speaking right to me, I'm thinking of what I can do for the Lord, like the greatest sacrifice, but he just wants my heart. And for those of you that are discerning and listening, really go with your heart. Um, you know, it's not to be afraid. I remember in high school, <laughs> my friend in high school said to me, she started crying. She's like, oh, my, my name at the time was Emily. I feel like I'm God's calling me to be a nun. And I said, Christina, don't worry. God's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. And then I'm the one that's the nun and she's now married. So it's true. <laughs> Whatever you're called to will bring you great joy. And so I just knew that's um, when I left there, I needed to try religious life. And I had a spiritual director and he um, confirmed that I was working as a pediatric oncology nurse at the time. I used up all my vacation time to go on all these pilgrimages to discern. So then I in, uh, I was like, okay, how am I going to visit orders? And so I quit my job as a nurse just to even visit 
um, in order to see if I was called to enter somewhere for six months or a year. And I came up to New York and visited our community along with a few others. And I just knew when I came to our community, a peace and joy felt at home, like I think all of us would say. Um, so if you're discerning out there, um, you'll know. It'll, you'll fit there like a hand fits in a glove. Yeah. So. You know, the... What I find remarkable about all these stories, I'm looking at Pete. Um, the uh, and, and Pete, you'll I think you'll back me up on this. A lot of times we've had these conversations with priests and, and other religious. The the one through line in all that is the level of resistance they had to the idea of becoming whatever it was that they ended up becoming, um, uh, and how long it lasts. I mean, our, our director of vocations has in our interview with him noted repeatedly his very active refusal to even consider the priesthood oh, yeah. until at one point you just couldn't refuse any longer and it was washed over you and you and you followed the path. It, 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 to separate degrees, I, I hear that in all these four stories and I think we've heard, I can't come to think, but I can't think of an occasion where I haven't heard that. I, I, I back you up with that totally. I, yeah. I think it's just Agnes. I think, um, you had your St. Ignatius moment, it sounded like, on that tennis court. You know, when because that's what happened to him, he got hurt, and then, you know, all he had was the faith. And I, with the four of you, too, it, what's pretty amazing is, uh, for the most part, it's a lot with youth group, youth ministry, and in our diocese, you, you've seen, you were in your summer of the city, and from my experience, I've talked... Mike knows this. I've talked about my own youth group, mm-hmm. my own young adult group, and how important those are. And we one of the things we didn't talk about is a Samuel group that's going to start up oh, right, in yeah. the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so that's... Oh, yeah, oh. if I could jump in on that. Um, sure. We were so excited to get here and to hear that the Samuel group is being started because we, we helped pilot it up in New York last year. Um, it was the first time it was being run on a diocesan-wide uh, event and program. Before that, it was always at a college-based campus ministry. So our, our sister Claire had this idea of, of doing it as a diocesan-wide event and got the vocations director up in New York and a, a great team of people together. And we worked closely with the young adults um, up in New York who um, just got so much out of it. I mean, the idea of uh, helping young adults to learn how to lead a more discerning life, um, not just discerning your vocation, but uh, uh, in the day-to-day, to learn to listen to the Lord uh, speak to you and, and through the through the events and the people and through scripture and the sacraments, to be able to hear the Lord's voice on, on a daily basis in this world, in this culture that bombards you with um, so much noise and so much other messages. There's such a need to learn how to listen to the Lord, um, especially for young adults. And, um, and the Samuel group just seems to be a, a great um, method of, of teaching that to young adults through, through the reflections and the um, the scrutinies that they help the young adults um, go through to reflect on their lives and, and look at the wounds and the hurts in their lives and seek inner healing um, through their Lord and through their relationship with the Lord and the sacraments. And um, so, yeah, we we were so excited to get here. At just a week ago, I think I was speaking to, to Greg Coogan. Mm-hmm. and said, oh, we're starting the same group. You are? That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> we just think, uh, we hope more dioceses um, pick it up and um, it should be a great tool to support young adults. Um, as you were saying, uh, Pete, the need for 
for each of us to be connected with a community that's supporting us in this faith journey. It's so important as our culture becomes more and more secular. Um, we can feel so on our own in our journey with the Lord, and, um, and we need that. We're, we're built, we're made for community. Uh, God himself is a communion of, of persons in the Trinity. That's what we're made for. And so as, as youth and young adults especially, you need that support to be able yeah. to... Um, to be able to to grow in your relationship with the Lord and not feel alone in it. And yeah, so just an encouragement if anybody's out there. I know some of the group is starting next Sunday, September 17th um, in, in Cherry Hill. And I'm sure there's more information on the Camden Diocese website. Yeah, yeah. org, and there's a tab for the youth and young adult ministries. Yeah. Uh, I will be there. I'm looking forward to that. Great. And that's, and two things might be, maybe you can. It's it talking about the peace and the joy. The moment that stuck out to me, we keep talking about summer in the city. Let's, there was Eucharistic Adoration, Burning Bush. And the joy, it was Sister Kiara and Sister Agnes helping out with the music, which was, I think, Sister Kiara, you were on the keyboard or the... Yes, I was on the keyboard. Do you, how, did you have training in that or did you take lessons? Um, thanks, thanks for your to my, my parents, they gave me piano lessons when, um, the first time was when I was eight years old. So I grew up learning how to play the piano and so I, I love the piano. I, 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 one time I wanted to go to, the piano? Julia, mm. oh, wow. um, but I wasn't, you know, that was just a far-off <laughs> <laughs> The Lord wanted me to, to play for him, and that's much better. <laughs> yeah. And Sister Agnes, you were on the drums or the, the, the djembe? Yeah, the djembe. So, yeah, I just picked that up since being in the convent, so I taught myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was such a, and sharing testimony at the burning bush, and one of the things I remember seeing from my vantage point the lights were off. It was beautiful. You saw the exposition, and in the window of the uh, the hall, the Corimba Hall, I saw the Tropicana <laughs> the, in Atlantic City. I'm just thinking, look at this. Like you might have seen the dichotomy of this. It's just so. Here we have next to this convent, you know, this area, such peace and joy and real, you know, based in that Eucharist. And right outside, you have this other world, this other lifestyle, this lie in some ways that says, no, you'll be happy if you go to the Trop Camp, Caesars, Valleys. And so, how's, since you've been here, how, what, can you explain, can we, can we shift gears for a bit? If we're going to shift gears, can I, can I jump in on your question for, yeah. real quickly? Because I, I just want to get back to something, Sister Agnes, you had talked about before you, before you led into your story, which was kind of the uniqueness of this community. This is a, a service and contemplative uh, community. Can you kind of give me an idea of a day in the life of, uh, of what's like in the community? That was my shift, Mike. That oh, worked yes. perfectly. Well yes. done. We're, right. we're totally on point. Okay. I love it. spirit moment here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we pray much like a contemplative community, a cloistered community would pray. So five hours a day about is what we're praying. So um, we get up on a typical day and have office of readings. We pray the liturgy of the hours five different times throughout the day. So starting with office of readings at six, and then we have an hour of private prayer that can be in the chapel or in our um, in our rooms or outside. 
So that will be for an hour, and then we come back together for morning prayer. And then after that, we'll have mass usually in the convents, or we'll go to a parish and then our, our schedule shifts, um, depending on what time the mass is. But we'll always have that hour of private prayer. Um, and then we eat our meals together like a family. So we talk at our meals, and we have one conversation, and we share the joys and um, the sorrows of our day. And it's usually a very light time, very joyful time. Oftentimes our neighbors can hear us laughing, and they'll have people <laughs> visiting and say, what's that noise? And you say, oh, it's the nuns. <laughs> um, so, but then... At 12 o'clock, so then during that morning time after breakfast, and we do our dishes together, and it's our recreation, much like a family, um, we'll do some sort of ministry in the morning or chores. Um, we live a very simple life, and here we, we don't know yet exactly what we'll be doing for ministry. We're still discerning that for about a year, but we're just doing some different things just to get to meet people. Uh, for instance, this morning we went out on the streets and uh, did a little street evangelization by bringing uh, bag lunches and just talking with people, um, spending some time and asking them what they would like. Uh, it was really beautiful. Many people were saying they really just to um, get a good word from the Lord and just your basic humanitarian needs like a, a, you know, a sandwich, something to drink. And it was very moving, very moving time. So we might do some sort of um, ministry either with the poor or evangelization um, or preparation for that. And then in the afternoon, we get together for midday prayer, which again is from the liturgy of the hours, and, um, and then lunch together. Uh, again, that family time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in the afternoon, we continue with chores or apostolate ministries. Um, and then in the evening, we get together at 5 o'clock for a holy hour. We usually have about an hour of a break before a holy hour just to either go for a walk or have a little downtime. Um, and then, so we'll have holy hour, which is right here in our own convent. We have exposition, and we begin with vespers, again, which is the liturgy of the hours, and then some time of silence where we can um, just spend with the Lord. And then after that, we have dinner together. There's a cook, different cook each night. Um, again, very okay. simple life, and we take turns. Um, and then after dinner, we do dishes together, and then we have another hour or so, and we'll do things we need to do, or there might be an apostolate or ministry we're doing in the evening. Um, and then we pray the rosary every day together, so usually in the evenings at 8.40, ending with night prayer, and then a respectful silence after that. So that's a typical day for us, um, and our prayer life really feeds our day. It really um, gives us what we need to then go out and bring the Lord to those that we minister to, that they're encountering Jesus, not just me, but Jesus in me, hopefully. Um, and I can then bring all those that I encounter through the day to the Lord um, when I come to prayer and bring their intentions. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you're, I know you're still in this sort of for lack of a better word, discerning phase for, for what you want to do in Atlantic City. But what about the, the convents in New York and Ireland? What are, what are those? like? So my question, I guess, is traditionally, what are the sisters usually focused on? Yeah, so Sister Joseph and I um, just moved here from East Harlem. We had been in the convent there that our communities had there, um, very poor neighborhood of East Harlem, Manhattan. Um, for the past 10 years, and it's been beautiful to, to see the apostolate develop over those, those 10 years. It took the sisters there a full year to even start uh, doing any, any sort of uh, organized ministry. But from that convent there now, we have um, a Saturday soup kitchen that serves 
about 80 to 100 people on a given Saturday, um, a food pantry, a clothing pantry. Um, the, every day uh, there's, there's about 15 to 20 people who could come to the door for coffee or sandwiches. Um, so just a door ministry, just being a presence at the door. Um, and then, and then uh, the youth group too. So, um, you know, once a week youth group during the school years and it would culminate in a two week uh, summer program for kids mm. there, there at the convent, which is the, a lot of work, but the highlight, the highlight of our, our summer is mm-hmm. called Harlem Summer Life um, and, and, and a great joy. So that was East Harlem. Um, our convent's in the Bronx. Uh, one, one of the convents has a food pantry, but there are also the houses of formation um, there, that both the novitiate, which doesn't have its own um, really active apostolate, and, and then the, the postulancy house, which has some um, smaller apostolates. And then in England and Ireland, um, the sisters do do some outreach uh, to the poor, um, but evangelization has been a big demand for them there. And Sister Kira just moved back from England, but um, in the very secular cultures of England and Ireland, there's a, a great um, demand for the sisters to lead retreats and, and days of reflection and be in the schools and do parish missions and, and things like that. Too. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, you know... Uh, Sort of lost, not say lost, the way to touch on it as much. But uh, Sister Agnes, I think you brought it up. Um, you know, there is there's also the, the friars as well. And the friars predate by just a few years the the sister by one year, right? Um, is there much interaction between the friars and the sisters? Yeah, so we um, we're separate communities, but we do do some apostolates together. So like when we have our summer life program in Harlem, we always invite the friars. So a couple of friars will come in and help out the friars have their summer life program in the summer and then a couple of sisters we go help um, and it's a nice balance or if we do parish missions sometimes we'll invite um, the others to they'll invite us to come and be involved with music or give a witness um, but we do live separately and um, live our lives separately and have our own ministries but we do sometimes do things together which is a great blessing and Noticing, uh, talking with you, you you all have the same type of ring on your on your finger. Can one of you explain what what is that exactly? Yes, as religious, we're we're brides of Christ. So uh, when we make our final vows, our final commitments with uh, to the Lord, uh, we really make them for life, and it's it's like a wedding. And so we wear the wedding band. Uh, we don't wear them on our left hand like uh, when people are married here. It's a reminder for us that we're, we're, our marriage is for heaven. And so we're, this life is really a preparation for that day. Uh, but we're living that right now. So uh, even even now is our time uh, to be a brides of Christ. So this is a, a visible sign of love, the reality that we are brides of Christ. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just curious about that. And, uh, you know, we often talk about, I mean, Franciscans in general, the, the, the general perspective of Franciscan is sort of a, well, brown. Franciscans are very brown, but it's not a brown order. This is a gray and black order, How, which might be confusing to some to people thinking Franciscans. How did that coloring happen? Yeah, so uh, many Franciscans, you're right, wear brown. So we wear gray, and a lot of people ask us, why are you wearing gray? I've never seen that. So um, one of the reasons is supposedly the original habit that St. Francis wore may have been more of a grayish color. Um, the undyed wool might have been more of that color. Um, gray is the color of renewal, so that's also a reason. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was I was curious about that. I've, I've heard there's an order called the gray nuns, isn't there? Well, when we're sitting in front of four right now. No, but, uh, no, but that, another. No, means here. So you are the gray nuns. 
That's no, when they no, refer to you. Okay, that's what we've heard that before. Okay, that, that's what, well, yeah, because I think there was a gray nun in the office of Catholic schools, and I'm trying to remember what, or I do not believe there were. Actually, I've, I've seen the gray. When I was at the convo, when I was at the convocation of Catholic leaders at uh, uh, down in Florida earlier this year, someone made the made the comment that at some day there should be like a parade of nations. There should be a parade of habits that go through these major Catholic events because there is. First of all, they're beautiful and they're it's wonderful to see. I, I there's nothing I love more than seeing the friars and habit, the, the, the sisters in habit. I think it's beautiful. Um, but actually, just to your point, I've actually seen more sisters in gray than I think I ever did in my, my youth. Yeah. I th- I, you I know what? I, this is one of our best digressions we've ever taken, but I think as the, I'm on the committee for the marrying pilgrimage that takes place every other year. We did it last year. So it'll be next year in the Basilica in D.C., Immaculate uh, Conception. I'm just thinking, Mike, you gave me an idea. We should have a parade of religious, or I, I, would, I think that would be wonderful. I, I would Serious. love that. But but going going back into off the digression, yeah, one of the you mentioned evangelization, and one of the first stories that I when we found out that the scissors were coming to Atlantic City, one of the first stories I had heard was about um, uh, the evangelization practices at St. Patrick's where a couple of sisters would go out with a with a baby Jesus in their hands around Christmas time and just stand there and let people walk up. Can you give me some and I thought that was brilliant and can you give me some of the background on that? Yeah, I think Father Benedict was a big instigator for that beginning. <laughs> and so um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's where that all started in that relationship that he had with the diocese, the archdiocese. But um so we would do that for as long as I remember being in the community. We would go down. It would be on the 28th, which is the Holy Innocence. So we would always that day, and, and we still do this, is we have a um, pro-life uh, witness walk, and we have mass, and then go pray the rosary on our way to an abortion clinic um, into Manhattan, and then we process back while there's adoration going on. So. Um, from that though, we then go to, we would go to St. Patrick's Cathedral and we would Christmas carol on the streets, on the steps of St. Patrick's Cathedral. And Father Benedict would be there holding the baby Jesus and people would come up and just stop like huge groups of people, um, to listen to the Christmas caroling. Cause oftentimes you don't even hear that mm-hmm. anymore on the radio. It's hard to find good Christmas carols. I know we're always trying to yeah. find them <laughs> and they're gone <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> like, you know, we really should be celebrating it for eight more days. <laughs> so our 12, the 12 days of Christmas, you know, really. So, but, um, in any case, so we, um, still do that from inside St. Patrick's Cathedral. We've been doing it now. Um, they find that's a, a better place to have it, and we sing from right there in the sanctuary. But then all the days after Christmas, starting um, on the 26th even, we get to stand at the crash because St. Francis had a great devotion to the child Jesus, and um, it was in Greccio that the um, at Mass, he was a deacon. The uh, They had done like a built a nativity scene, and the child Jesus just came alive during that. And um, St. Francis really popularized the first nativity. And so us going as Franciscans to stand in front of the Christmas crush at St. Patrick's Cathedral, we do that for days. 
and you meet people from all over the world, thousands of people. And it's just incredible. And some people have not even heard of Jesus and um, giving out holy cards and just people can't get enough. And they just all, they just soak it up and want prayers. And people are moved to tears when they hold the baby Jesus. Very simple. It's one of, I think, all of our favorite days. I don't know if anybody has a specific story from just always so many stories from that experience. It's very profound, uh, very joyful time. Is that something that uh, is only at St. Patrick's, or has it been done in Ireland or England, Sister Kiara? Um, yeah, we, we we do have a live nativity each year, which is amazing. Um, so we live on what's called a, a council estate in England. Um, it's it's And that's kind of comparable to um, living among the projects. Mm-hmm. And so all of the people there come into the church. We call it our basilica because it's, it's not really a basilica, but the church is huge. And um, so we have um, a choir up um, you know, playing Christmas carols, and we have a, a live nativity. So we have a holy family, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus. That's from I would say from January, we're on the lookout for who can be baby Jesus. <laughs> and we, we always we always find a family who's perfect, and we have the shepherds and the kings, the three kings, and and oftentimes the the, the priests will play the three kings. Um, it was really a beautiful time for the community to gather together um, to to celebrate the reality of, of Jesus coming into our world and to be with us and to be among us. Um, and we, we also have live donkeys, so that's always a pull <laughs> to get everybody there. And so a lot of times our neighbors will say that's for them, the one, you know, if they don't go to church, that for, that's for them the, the, the one service um, that they'll attend and that they love it. So this is such a, a powerful experience of, of, of Jesus. And the joy of, of our of our community, and then afterwards we invite all of the children and, and their parents to go next door, and we have um, crafts, arts and crafts, and we each receive a gift. But um, they get to sit on Santa's lap. So we also have a man in the neighborhood who grows his hair out for, to be to play Santa. So everyone's kind of preparing for this all year. It's very special. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's I really love a community it. event. So <laughs> it's, it's beautiful to proclaim Jesus um, among our people that we live with. So. That's great. And we have about, what, three and a half months to find a Jesus for a life Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm praying we can do something that, that just sounds... Like that, some I'm just thinking, what could be done here? Well, that's that's one of the that's one of the beautiful things about having you in Atlantic City, and and not just your community, but all the other orders. You know, any any time we get to, I enjoy I enjoy every time I get to see a public display of our faith in whatever form it happens to take, whether it's the summer in the city folks, or whether it's the sisters down from New York, or or you know anything that we do, or the wedding of the sea ceremony that we do, which yeah. we. we which I absolutely adore, or any, or the iRace of vocations, which I, I think that was actually my first introduction to the community, as a matter of fact, you've always been so good in attending that uh, year after year. And for anyone who's, who's attended these different events since uh, Bishop Sullivan has, has, come and, has come to the diocese, you've probably noticed these sisters in gray habits. Well, here we are chatting. These are, these are those mysterious sisters you've seen, uh, you've seen at all these events. They are, they are our newest uh, sisters in the diocese. Okay, Pete, I think we're coming to the end of our uh, time here. This is now officially the longest-running podcast that we've ever had. Uh, and thank you very much, sisters, for uh, making sure that I, I have no complaints to that. As a matter of fact, I would have been upset if this wasn't the longest podcast we'd ever had. Um, so, I, Pete, I what, 
Do you have your four questions chambered? I do. Thank you so much. Uh, just yeah, just I'm very happy this is the longest podcast. Yes, and we'll we'll break format. We'll only ask one question to, to each. Well, sister. I guess I'll just go around the table here. Uh, so, sister and Cattery, um, we're one of the things Mike and I talk about the show is is uh, food. And one of the talking about dinner, you know, you cook each, you know, you take turns cooking. So say if tonight, for instance, what's your night to cook? What would you cook for you and your sister? Yeah, well, actually, it's my sister Kiara's that I cooked last night <laughs> and the night before. It's funny, I had been the local servant of the convent in East Harlem. And, and it was just a very busy convent. We had eight or nine sisters in the house. Um, so I, I often wasn't on the cooking rotation. So I've been cooking more here in the past month than I have in the past uh, four or five <laughs> years, I think. This is great. <laughs> we enjoy it. Yeah. So um, Wednesday, Wednesdays we don't eat. So I was cooking last night. So Wednesdays and Fridays we don't eat meat. Um, so fish sticks and potatoes, broccoli and salad was, was our menu. Very nice. The night before was like a chicken, chicken and red sauce and pasta. A vegetable and a salad. Eating very healthy. Yes. Well done. Yeah, I like to. that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. Sister Joseph, um, do you have any um, another question, Mike and I? There's, there's kind of theme to these questions here. Um, what advice do you have? Any life advice that you've received or uh, that you've heard that you'd like to impart that you can impart on our listeners? Or best advice somebody's given you? Whoa, where to start? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, one, one thing Father Andrew would always say is um, we don't need to, le- to hear a lot of new things. We need a lot of reminders. And so just always going back to the basics of our faith, going back to just the simple reminders to the gospel, the simple reminders to uh, what Jesus himself told us, uh, how to live our lives. Um, it's, it's always been a good reminder to me. <laughs> that I can sometimes go into my mind and try to figure out things out with my head, uh, but to go back to those simple realities that the Lord laid before us in the Gospels. Uh, so we don't need a whole lot of new things, uh, but uh, a lot of reminders. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Sister Kiar, yes. um, do you have, uh, if you could recommend a book for everybody to read besides the Bible, um, what would it be? That's <laughs> mm, a great question. Spiritual reading is so important. Um, well, the first thing that came to my mind is this year's 100th anniversary of Our, of our Lady Fatima appearing um, to us. And Father Andrew Apostoli has written a beautiful book um, on Our Lady Fatima. And it is called Fatima for Today. By Father Andrew Apostoli, and it's uh, he gives a really beautiful synopsis of what actually happened, and, and uh, is able to apply it um, some spiritual principles um, for us. So I I highly recommend that book, especially this year. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I have to check that out. And Sister Agnes, um, it's funny how things work out because you're talking about your tennis background, and right now the U.S. Open is happening. Um, and did you know, I think for the first time ever, the four female, the, the final four females are all American. Maybe not the first time ever. In a whole lot of years, they're all uh, American-born. Um, 
Did you do you have a favorite tennis player? Did you have a favorite tennis player? <laughs> I'm laughing because it would be really out of date. So, oh. and plus, too, we so what's interesting about our community? We live very simply, and so we don't have television. And so I didn't even know it was the U.S. Open right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if we were in New York, we would have been stuck in the traffic for it. But yeah. 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 So we're not aware <laughs> that the U.S. Open is happening. To be honest, I don't think I even know who's playing and who's the oh, newest um, people. But I, going back to when I was a kid, Steffi Graf was the first. Steffi Graf would have been my favorite at the time. I, uh, I I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> no, I actually I played some tennis. I took tennis lessons uh, when I was in grade school, and my favorite tennis player was Pete Sampras, oh, just with, with the initials PS. Too. And also, he was a good player, so. I'm kind of, and I went to the U.S. Open one year. I got this this guy Jonas Bjorkman. That's old school. I got his autograph. That's, that's interesting. Steffi Graf. Yeah, she was. She's an all-time great. So you can't go wrong. Um, so, so sisters, if uh, I have nothing to add to tennis, I'm sorry. I, I wish I, I, I I've always been a Connors guy myself, but now I'm really dating myself, being the oldest person in the room. Um, <laughs> sisters, if people want to learn more about the community, where can they where can they go aside from knocking on your door? Yeah, so we have a website again. It's very simple. <laughs> so it's um, Franciscan Sisters CFR dot com. Again, Franciscan Sisters. CFR.com and um, our address here in Atlantic City is 10 North Mississippi Avenue and we're Atlantic City 08401 and our, our contact information uh, is um, 609-343-1545 again 609-343-1545 and um, we're just it's been a delight to be here this is St. Michael Convent and um yeah, thank you, and thank you for your listening, and um, keep us in your prayers. And we'd ask you to keep us in your prayers, um, and you certainly do enough of it, so I'm hoping you can find some time for us, too. But um, but as we uh, close out the podcast, uh, Sister Ann Cattery, would you please uh, one final prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and loving God, we thank you and we praise you for this time together to celebrate and to share, Lord. Uh, your goodness and your mercy in our lives and the ways that you've called us and the work that you're beginning here now in Atlantic City. We ask, Lord, your blessings on all of the listeners, on the work of the Diocese of Camden, and on the ministry that you'll have us do. We ask this through the intercession of Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us, all you holy angels and saints of God. Pray for us, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us, everybody. This has been Talking Catholic. Pete, have a good rest of your day. Sisters, have a wonderful time down here, and we'll talk to everybody later. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, sisters. Thank you.